page 94, the Private Eye podcast. Hello and welcome back to page 94. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray and today we are doing a special episode all about FOI, aka Freedom of Information. This is the act that means that any member of the public or journalist or whoever it may be can get in touch with the government department, request a bit of information, and provided it's not exempt, they can receive that information. That's the basic principle, and it has led to dozens and scores of stories, particularly in Private Eye, in the 15 years since the Act was published. There have been countless stories, I think, uh, over, over the last few years. I mean, all of the NHS IT stuff that Richard covered. Schmoozing of government officials by companies with an interest in government business. Criticisms of the ambulance service after the death of an 11-year-old. I found out a Tory energy minister telling off fracking company Quadrilla for being so crap, basically. The phrase he used was social licence, but that's another way of saying stop being crap. Privatisation of the government's nudge unit. And a treasure trove of information on free schools. But at the moment there is a consultation going on. Uh, the government are currently working out whether they want to tighten up the rules on FOI and make it harder for various bits of information to reach the public domain. So to that end, they have appointed a commission to look at possible changes to the Act. Hence this podcast. Today we are going to look at why the Act is important, what might change and what, if anything, you can do about it. The answer is you can, but we're going to get to that at the end. Richard Brooks is the man behind stories like ownership of Britain's land from tax havens, dodgy deals for arms with Saudi Arabia, and dodgy expenses by Britain's Auditor General. He is no stranger to FOI requests. I'm probably one of the sources of irritation for the government. <laughs> I started working at the Eye just over 10 years ago, almost exactly when the Freedom of Information Act came into force. Nice, you came um, of age at the same time. Yeah, you've been each other's constant companions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I first started using it when the new Labour government, when it came to things like consultancy and massive IT projects, and we found out a lot about those through freedom of information requests. We we did a a long series of articles on the National Health Service IT program, using information on its progress or lack of progress, or obtained under freedom of information rules you know and that led to a big parliamentary examination of that scandal the program was shut down and that ultimately saved the taxpayer a lot of money jane mckenzie writes the in the back section of the magazine i asked her whether she uses foi i do but also our readers do and um, people who get in touch with stories quite often get in touch already having made a freedom of information request and discovered something interesting. Not even always what they were trying to find out by making the request. Oh, really? For instance, what I've got here is some information a student at Sussex got when he asked to see the contract for their outsourced services, which contained some very funny things, such as the specifics of how fit for purpose the cheese in the canteen had to be. But also some quite worrying things, such as the fact that the security guards under the contract uh, had a responsibility to prevent any kind of protest happening on the campus. Wow. That's how, how revealing putting in a fairly broad request had been there, just to see the details yeah. of what the contractors had to provide. Generally, they're supposed to be quite specific. It's interesting that you get that kind of bycatch, as mm, it were. Absolutely. Another quite broad one the british humanists put in a a big request to get information on free schools now for them the interest was in 
which free schools were religious and how much the sort of free school situation was swinging all schools to being faith schools. But because they made a fairly broad request, they got information on all the free schools, which is actually quite a treasure trove for journalists. And sometimes they're requesting information that absolutely should have originally been available to them. So, for instance, in a very sad case, a young boy had died in a situation where um, there were questions over what had happened in the ambulance. And there were various meetings that happened over this. And his mum was refused permission to see the minutes of those meetings and had to go through freedom of information to get that information. And she should have had that information all the way through. And um, that, again, it's a member of the public seeking information that's really personal to themselves, but also reveals information because it's about the way that a medical service happens that's actually very important to the wider public as well. Podcast regular Robert Duck aficionado and lobbying supremo Solomon Hughes. The government publishes a regular list of all the meetings that ministers have had, which is part of their openness promise, and it's good that they do it. But often the meetings tell you less than they should. And so that's quite a common one where I would look at that meeting and see one where I think, oh, I'm interested in that. What were they talking about? And ask for a freedom of information request for whatever documents you can get. So that's quite a regular story I do so some of it's quite routine really an example one of the ones I had with that was I saw I think it's Lansley the Secretary of State for Health met a company called I Want Great Care this was a couple of years back and now I Want Great Care do the friends and family test they do that thing where they say to people who've had a medical procedure would you recommend this to your friends and family which is meant to be one of the metrics the measurements that the government's encouraging for the NHS, which is a bit mad, really, because you'd never recommend anyone to go to hospital, you'd say, how was that? But anyway, uh, they're, they're very keen on that, and I want Great Care promote services around that, and so they'd met the health minister, thought, that's interesting, I wonder what they talked about, because I had a feeling about it, because there's something about that company which was confirmed to me when I got the papers, and what it was really is that uh, former health secretary Alan Milburn works for I Want Great Care, and so he was lobbying Andrew Lansley about getting business or helping get business for this company. Now, you only knew that by asking the question. You got the hint from the regular piece of documentation who ministers met, but you only get the sense of it by asking freedom of information. And I think if I just asked that now, you know, if I just rang the press office and said, could you tell me more about that meeting, they would have said no. Adam McQueen. I think the key to it, actually, is you have to not give people the chance to invoke the get-out clauses that they have. So you have to be really precise with your questioning, and that's where I think Richard is incredibly clever. Um, I'm going to get the OBN now for uh, one, one of my colleagues. But um, because he comes from a tax office and Whitehall background himself, he knows the specific questions to ask that don't give him the wriggle room. Because if you can give a civil servant uh, any wriggle room whatsoever where they can say, well, we don't hold that specific information. You have to know the information is there and exactly where it's held so as you know exactly what to ask for because it, it's become a cat and mouse thing. It's a bit like, you know, Microsoft employed this army of hackers to defeat the army of hackers outside who are trying to hack into them. But, but a lot of Whitehall uh, people dealing with freedom of information are basically just trying not, not to release it, just to, to find any way possible of not letting people pass their defences and get out of it under the uh, the kind of protocols that are already in place, which they're now desperately trying to tighten so as they, they, they don't have to put the effort in at all. There's an old rule of interviewing, isn't there, which is you never ask a question that you don't know the answer to already. Yeah. 
you knew the answer to that was going to be yes. So. Yeah, there thank go. God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few years ago, I put in a series of information requests to every government department about their for their hospitality registers. Uh, this is about nine or ten years ago, and um, the cabinet office I later found out told every government department to refuse it on the grounds that it would be too expensive to comply. And some departments said, oh, no, it wouldn't. We've got these registers. We can just hand them over. But the Cabinet Office said, no, hold on to them. So the Cabinet Office broke its own law, which is pretty serious. But we eventually got them. And we found out there was rampant schmoozing across Whitehall, you know, firms getting government contracts, but taking the people who were giving them those contracts out to dinner. We found that HMRC had someone who was became known as the most wined and dined civil servant because he was going out with companies whose tax deals he was agreeing. You know, so there's a huge amount that came out there that was obviously in the public interest. And those registers now have to be published as a matter of routine as a result of freedom of information requests. So uh, you might think that the art of a good FOI request is to keep it specific, not necessarily. Here's Jane. You aren't specifically asking for the answer to a question you're asking for access to documents. That's what you'll get. You'll get copies of correspondence or of uh, reports or of statistics. So, yes, I mean, what you would ask for is to see the correspondence regarding such and such a project or all the statistics on free schools. Don't just narrow your request to faith schools because you will get more interesting information by keeping the request broad. Now, they don't like that because it does reveal more information and it does mean more work for the people providing the information in some cases, though in some cases less because they won't have to go through and filter it all out. Do you find you have to be quite careful with the wording of your requests, as in quite precise? Yeah, I think, well, what I've, this is the way I figured out how to uh, do it, is you have to imagine what would be the residue of that piece of government, you know, because what you're doing when you're getting freedom of information, you're getting the dregs and the signs and the geographic and uh, archaeological remnants of government. So you have to think, what would they be? Would they be an email would they be a phone call? Would they be a minute? Would they be a file? And you have to somehow get a sense of that. And obviously you do these requests every time you get a sense of that. And that's what you're asking for. You're asking for you what you would imagine there they would be. You know, you would hope in some cases that they would... Well, this is an interesting one. We would have hoped that the Department of Work and Pensions would keep statistics on the number of people who die or commit suicide whilst sanctioned for benefits or whilst having difficulty getting their benefits. You'd be asking for a statistic. You'd imagine there'd be a statistic. I mean, shockingly, in that case, the answer is there isn't one. Some bodies, uh, like the BBC or charities or other non-governmental types, are not covered by the FOI Act. Adam McQueen. And the BBC have this magnificent get-out clause, which uh, I've just looked up on their website, which says that uh, they don't have to give out information under freedom of information, which is held for purposes such as journalism, art or literature. 
which, you know, is most admirable, but also is pretty much a get-out clause that gets them out of everything. So it's tended to be that the stories we get about the BBC, which the, they tend to actually come in from readers, because our readers ferret away and send in their own freedom of information requests and then, and, and, and then send them on to me. And the most of the ones that have been of interest have been actually what the BBC has managed to wriggle out of revealing under that. So the one that I remember from last year was one about how many times the music of Gary Glitter had been used in documentaries and how many royalties had gone to him, despite the fact uh, that it, it was an eagle-eared listener who'd spotted, I think, Rock and Roll Part 2 in, in, in a BBC Two documentary. Uh, and this had prompted him to write, write in and, uh, and ask this, because uh, according to BBC's rules, the music of Gary Glitter and indeed a number of other celebrity sex offenders is not supposed to be used on the airwaves, uh, save with the express permission of various kind of layers of management and things. So uh, in that one, we got was the story we got out of it was really the BBC refusing to answer it because they said this was held for artistic reasons. So that tends to be the way with uh, the freedom of information things I've been involved with in recent years. Can you ask the BBC about financial stuff? Presumably you can, unless it's commercially confidential yeah Yentop's taxis you can ask them endlessly about okay. I mean they have that pretty much as, as, as kind of safe straight on their desktop in the press office of, yeah. <laughs> what's he spent this month you have done a little bit of subterfuge FOI work in the past oh this was years and years ago this is really going back to my memory so, so this is when Freedom of Information was being introduced it was before it was a Freedom of Information 2000 Act wasn't it it was when it came in so this must have been sort of 98, 99 kind of time and I was working for uh, the Big Issue magazine then and we decided uh, as the task I was going to set myself was to see who could get the best information the quickest out of government, uh, whether it would be a journalist going through the official channels, and the task I was given was specifically to find out when the Freedom of Information Act was going to be enacted, or a 10-year-old child. And it won't surprise you to learn that when I started going through the official channels, I was sort of punted round from press officer to press officer. We were saying, oh, I think that's Cabinet Office. No, 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 I think that's Ministry of Justice. No, no, no I'm not sure. Could not get a proper answer out of them at all. 10-year-old child, within a week... Wrote to Tony Blair saying, I'm doing my school project and I've got to find out what a famous person has for breakfast. Beautifully written personal reply on Downing Street notepaper. I think it was Weetabix was the specific answer, but the line I always remember was, if Mr Blair should have any fruit, it would usually be an orange. Once something goes private, is it harder to get FOI? Yeah. Because it's a, then no longer governmental. That's one of the big issues with outsourcing everything, that you can't ask private companies who provide services for any information in the way that you could a government department. Um, So charities are exempt, aren't they, for various reasons? Charities are within the scope. All the big outsourcing companies like G4S, A4E, all those, they're not within the scope. Uh, Private finance initiative contracts, the contract itself may well be disclosable because the government department will have it. That's a lot of legal detail. The actual performance becomes a lot more difficult to question because that's all carried out by a private company. In the case of G4S providing prison services, whatever that might be, it's Mm. state uh, work, as it were. It's the stuff that has always traditionally belonged to the government, except that you're not allowed to know about it any longer. You're not allowed to to make freedom of information requests about it any longer. That's right. If you had concerns about, say, a particular prison, it would be very difficult to find out. You certainly couldn't find out from the company that was running the prison. So if they didn't provide the information you were after to the Ministry of Justice, then, you know, you wouldn't be able to get it. So even at the moment, it is not guaranteed if you make an FOI request that you will get the answer you're looking for. But that in itself can be revealing. Sometimes the story is in the fact that the information was refused or that they don't have the information as well. So the response to a freedom of information request isn't always information. One of the things I've got here is a response from the Office of the Nuclear Regulator, 
who, uh, in response to the question about uh, the statistics they held on um, staff at nuclear installations failing drugs or alcohol tests, replied saying, we don't keep that information. Well, it's information that they ought to keep. So the very fact that they don't is interesting. That's fascinating. They don't keep information on how many staff are... No, legally, any nuclear installation where somebody fails has to send a return to the Office for the Nuclear Regulator, but they don't count them up or anything. (laughs) I've had cases where there's been a meeting, which I've been chasing, and there hasn't been a thank you letter, which is quite a good one. Oh, thanks for that meeting, because that sometimes gives away what the meeting was about. That's a good one to ask for. You don't use not exactly phrase it in those terms. Sometimes there haven't been, and there's been no trace at all, and that makes you more suspicious. And I've had to say, well, at the end of the day, can I have a photocopy of the page from the diary to get at least some sense, you know? So you're, you're asking for, like I say, it's thinking what that action of government, what it would have produced, and that's what you're asking for. They have a phrase where they say, in freedom of information, we do believe it is good to understand the workings of government or something along those lines. And it is true. It is interesting to see how decisions are made, to see, is it just a quick email that that changes policy or do they have to have, you know, weeks of thinking about it? It it varies from from one case to another. But it is, you know, sympathetically, it's interesting to see how uh, government works. I think that was one of the things that Chris Grayling said about the nature of foi although he probably would have been pretty down on you using it as a research tool yeah, to, uh, yeah. to generate stories <laughs> terrible thing why are we doing that <laughs> you know it's just you know just so annoying because you could keep going with that all the, over the place couldn't you hansard you know sometimes we look at that for what happened in parliament to generate stories so perhaps they could just have a blackout of what <laughs> is said in parliament you know you use all kind of things sometimes interviewing them to generate stories so really maybe they should either refuse to talk to us or charge a and they could be, I'm not sure whether that be per time or per word. I would favour per word because they might, otherwise you'd just speak really, really slowly and not tell you anything. <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah, terrible thing, generating stories. What were we thinking of? So that is pretty much the state of FOI as it is at the moment, but it is not necessarily how things are going to stay. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the programme, there is a consultation going on at the moment. It ends in under a week. Very exciting. Democracy in action. And on the panel, various worthies, former government ministers, civil servants, including Jack Straw, who's the man who passed the Freedom of Information Act in the first place. Here's Richard. Yeah, I mean, they're all, if you look at that panel, you know, the chairman is Lord Burns, Terry Burns, yeah. who's uh, who who's, was a career civil servant. Yeah. He was top civil servant in the Treasury. Michael so, Howard. Michael Howard, yeah. I mean, you know, at least freedom of information, you only get refused twice normally. He, the <laughs> man who refuses to answer a question 14 times, you know, putting him on a freedom of information panel tells you a lot. Yeah, especially if you're trying to get more sunlight in somewhere. Michael Howard is not the man to ask. That's right, he's not the man for the... <laughs> disinfectant of sunlight is it (laughs) the potential changes to the act have been worrying lots of journalists there's the prospect of introducing a blanket charge for requests which obviously would make life much harder for lots of smaller news organizations solomon you know you'd be making a pricing decision all the time is the is what i'm going to find going to be worth 500 pounds well you don't know because you don't know what you're going to find if you just make it market mechanisms, uh, you'll only have uh, the well-funded parts of the press asking stories. And that's to say, you know, it's a bloody son asking just about what ministers ate for dinner or something so they can make some ludicrous story out of that. Uh, we should say what the charging thing is at the moment. For government, 
They can refuse the request on grounds of cost if it will cost more than £600. Yes. And other bodies, the limit's £450 is the threshold. That's for refusal, but you can always uh, work with that. I mean, you don't want to overburden them. I mean, mean, uh, it's not a trivial or made-up point. Obviously, they do have to do work to achieve freedom of information requests, and you can't just say, I want to know everything about everything you've done. The way they measure that is by charging. But you can, if you're very, very committed to finding a story, what you can say is you can break that down. You can say, well, if that question's too big, perhaps I can ask a smaller part of that question. And often you do end up in that negotiation with departments. And it's annoying and it's awkward, but it's not wholly unreasonable. I think sometimes they take the mickey. No doubt they sometimes think we take the mickey, but it's a genuine play on that. What would be wrong with charging is if they actually say, we're going to charge you for requests, which seems to me is one of the potential dangers that they will, they will be looking at in this review of freedom of information. You know, actually saying, you know, those £600 inquiries or £300 inquiries or all inquiries will charge you X amount of money. That would be a real problem. That's journalists. What about members of the public? I asked Jane whether it might affect them too. I would have thought so. A lot of these people are not funded in the way that media organisations are or, you know, they don't have a kitty to pay for freedom of information requests. So, they, yes, they would be put off asking for information that they absolutely should have access to. And the other change is um, the idea that all advice yeah. can be made automatically exempt if ministers or civil servants decide that something relates to policy advice. Yeah, yeah. They've used the phrase they, uh, safe space. We want a safe space to have policy advice. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Does the Act adequately recognise the need for a safe space for policy development and implementation? I know. That's what they're asking at the moment, was, was whether they, yeah. they're allowed to, you know, whether there's still any room for them to uh, A safe talk. space. What is it? It's like a kind of padded room where they can say all the mad things, you know, and they, if, they won't, if they bang themselves on the wall, it won't hurt. It's just crazy. They try and use that already. They, that is one area where they definitely stretch policy advice. And it's bad because policy advice, there's another name for that or part of that, which is lobbying, which is the story I would be chasing. When they have tried to do that, where I've said, you met this person, what were you discussing? And they sometimes try to say it was a question of the private office and it's policy development. And so we're not going to tell you. But if you look into it more deeply, that policy development was then being lobbied by someone. Now, we should know about that. That's really important. I mean, that's the other direction of government. Um, you know, them saying, oh, we'll be open about lobbying. But they're then going to say, yeah, but ooh, if it's policy advice, we're in our safe space. There is nothing really for officials to fear on their policy advice being exposed. My experience is that if you appeal a refusal on that point, the Information Commissioner looks quite favourably on the government's arguments. You know, he thinks it's a good idea that discussions internally should be confidential in general. They don't have anything to fear from that. And I think the idea that it is burdensome is is a, a bit of an exaggeration, really. I think it's burdensome in the sense that they don't like it. <laughs> Nobody likes being asked difficult questions. You know, we don't like it when a reader writes in and points out something they don't like about something we've written. <laughs> you know, if you're a school teacher, you don't like it when a parent writes in and says, here, what's going on with my kid? You know, lots of people don't like the people they have to deal with getting in touch with them (laughs) Uh, that's life but you have to the difference here is that the government has the power to do something about it so the government doesn't like it so it says okay we'll change it it feels like it would actually go back to a situation that's worse than before we had the act because at least before we had the act if you were asking for information they'd sort of take each 
request under consideration and you might not have an information commissioner to go and fight it out with them, but sometimes they would give you the information. Now it looks like you could very possibly be charged for that information just every time you were to phone up a government press office and ask a question. Literally actually worse than before. Literally worse than before. There was something, I remember this, we used before, there was something called the Code of Practice on Access to Government Information, which is like a sort of crappy freedom of information rules rather than laws that we did used to use. We used to use them to chase down, there's one particular story about how all these civil servants turned out not to be civil servants, but people from corporations on secondments working in departments, you know, so... I can't remember exactly, but let's say the Department of Transport was full of people who worked for road building firms or the Ministry of Defence was full of people who worked for arms firms who sell all those expensive rockets that don't work and so on and so forth. We dug that out under the previous pre-freedom of information rules, but it was much slower. Uh, They had much more discretion. There was no right of appeal. So, yeah, it would would make things difficult. It would be interesting (laughs) to see how things would swing towards people leaking information again. Because there are plenty of people inside public institutions who believe that the public should have information. So if that information becomes inaccessible, um, will people's consciences be pricked enough to say, well, we shall let that information fly free? It's sort of beguilingly romantic, even if it would be dreadful for the amount of information which actually hits the public sphere. Yes. (laughs) If you could change the Freedom of Information Act in one way, what would you do to it? What would it be? I think it would be if it was like in America, because I know in America they are more responsive and it's more ingrained in there. And I don't think... I think the law, our law, is so very heavily modelled on the American one that to some extent it must be not a difference of law but a difference of culture, partly because they've been doing it for a long time so they're just more used to it, but partly their attitude... You know, the British Civil Service ran the empire uh, for, you know, 200 years or whatever. It knows how to deal with dissent and change in, in various ways. And one of its key things is secrecy. And I think the American government doesn't quite have that approach. But I think it's a cultural rather than a legal difference. I think partly it's also because to some extent they're not so bothered because you know nobody bothers voting in American elections so all these terrible facts are revealed and everyone's shocked and then the thing goes on whereas I think actually it possibly does make more of a difference here but for whatever reason it is if it, if it was more like America we would get more documentation there's absolutely no doubt about that Is there any advice that you'd give to anyone listening to this? Reply to the consultation keep your information that you have a right to in the public the whole idea of the Freedom of Information Act, which Blair so regretted afterwards, was was giving power over to the people. So I think it's about time that people, people out there who are who are interested and think that think that all this stuff should be out there in the public domain, use that power and um, and, and write in and make their submissions to this consultation to say, for God's sake, we need um, stronger, we need more freedom of information rather than less. Adam McQueen there. If you would like to do anything about this, if you'd like to respond to the consultation, the good news is that you can do so. They are collecting answers from members of the public until Friday the 20th of November. Deadline is midnight. You can email a response saying FOI is a good thing, or a bad thing if you think it's a bad thing, to the following email address. It is foi.commission at justice.gsi.gov.uk. And we'll also provide a link on the Private Eye website. So that's it for this week. 
Thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back in a fortnight with another episode next time with an actual joke in it. We'll see you then. Goodbye.